This is my voice, my weapon of choice. Hello everybody, you are listening to IVS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. Brought to you by IVS, the international women's space. IVS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. Make sure to visit our website, iwspace.de, and subscribe to our podcasts. Hello, everybody. You are listening to EVS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. This is our first program, and we are very happy about it. This podcast is brought to you by IVS, the International Women's Space. We are a feminist, anti-racist group of migrant women, refugee women, and women without this experience. With IVS Radio, we want to both shed light on our lived experiences and the general situation of migrant women living in Germany today. So, my name is Kia Kupfer and today I am joined by my two colleagues from IVS, Jennifer Kamau and Lavenda Samuel. Welcome, I'm very happy that you are here. And we will be talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected women in refugee camps in Germany. So, welcome Jennifer and Lavenda. Hello, I'm Jennifer. Hello, and I'm Lavenda. So, in case some of our listeners are not so familiar with the issues we are talking about, I would like to first paint a picture of the general situation of asylum seekers and refugees in Germany. The figures I will be mentioning are from the Mediendienst Integration, which is a service for journalists looking for information on migration-related topics. <clears throat> there are currently around 200,000 refugees in Germany living in refugee camps or lagers. Lager is the German word which we and other activists use to describe refugee accommodations, commonly referred to as Heim, which is the German word for home. We make the political choice not to use Heim, which it doesn't not, since it does not accur accurately describe the living conditions of refugees in these accommodation centers. So, between January and May of this year, 2020, 42.9% of those applying for asylum in Germany were women and girls, or girls. On arrival, a person applying for asylum is sent to a reception center, where the average number of residents is around 400 people. And after the application is registered, the security checks are made, then people are transferred to different lagers throughout the whole country. A Lagas population can be anywhere between 100 and more than 1,000 in the case of the Anker centers. Refugees in the Lagas all face certain restrictions. The Lagas are guarded by security personnel. Anyone arriving or leaving must show an ID. And the police can come in to deport people at any time, day or night. In most of the rooms, kitchens, toilets, bathrooms, and, for example, common areas, the privacy doesn't exist. And most lagers are located in isolated areas, outside of the cities or in small towns, and sometimes even in the middle of forests, not connected to any infrastructure like a bus or a public transportation. This makes it super difficult for people to access transportation and other essential services and facilities 
for example hospitals, schools or any other kind of support. The Anker centers we mentioned are a new kind of inhumane mass accommodation centers for asylum seekers here in Germany. The name Anker comes from the German for arrival, decision and repatriation and translates to Anker. And the idea behind them is to have all the essential services and authorities for asylum seekers centralized in only one single location. For example, we take the Anker Center in Bamberg in Bayern. There are all the authorities in one space. The reg regional authorities of the Office for Asylum and Repatriation, the BAMF, which is the Bundesamt für Migration und Flüchtlinge, which is the federal office for migration and refugees, a social welfare office, health authorities, including a small clinic, an administrative, an administrative court, employment, employment agency and police. The anchor centers were introduced in a pilot scheme in 2018 and until now have been adopted in three different states, in Bayern, in Sachsen and in Saarland. The real goal is to speed up the asylum process. People are detained here because they are considered by the German state to have a low prospect of gaining residency permit in Germany. And this is decided, for example, on the basis of nationality. So people that come here from these, they call it safe countries of origin, are likely to be put in these anchor centers. These centers have been met with a massive criticism by activists and other human rights organizations. And it is absolutely clear to us that these centers only exist to increase the numbers of deportations. They make it impossible for residents to actually become anchored in Germany with no access to independent legal advice or contact to the wider society. We think the use of the word anchor is particularly cynical because an anchor is used to dock somewhere, like a safe harbor, after some time on the sea. Yet, these places are anything but that. So now that our listeners have a bit of a clearer picture of the general situations of refugees and asylum seekers here in Germany, I would like to begin with you, Jennifer. So one recent project of IVS is called the Break Isolation Group and is aimed at breaking the isolation of refugee women in the lagers in and around Berlin. So with the sudden arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic, the project has changed a bit. Can you please speak a bit how it changed? Thank you, Kia. Yes, since the beginning of 2019, every Friday, IVS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. We wanted to reach out to more women, so we started visiting lagers around Berlin on a uh, started visiting lagers in Brandenburg on a regular basis. The idea was to do the lagers to make direct contact with women and break isolation both physically and mentally. These visits were supported by Quartier Master. We also wanted to connect women with as many other organizations as possible. We would take flyers and any information we could gather from our network and bring that to, to the women living in the lagers because so, so much important information was inaccessible 
to them. When the corona pandemic reached Germany, we realized that this would have devastating consequences for refugees in the lagers. But let's remember, we are talking about shared accommodations, where three or four women who don't know each other live in a room that can be smaller than 20 square meters. If there are kitchen facilities available, they are shared. Toilets, bathrooms, corridors are all shared by many people. How is social distancing possible in such places? Just before the lockdown, we were able to visit the reception center in Eisenhuttenstadt in Brandenburg, just to understand how they were handling the situation. We were surprised that we were allowed to visit. We had our temperatures taken when we arrived, which we felt was something positive in terms of protecting the residents. But actually, we were informed that the residents were free to come to come and go out of the lager without similar protective measures. So we questioned how they were able to establish whether the residents were infected while coming and going from the camp. Soon after this, the authorities decided to close the lagers to visitors. Then they started with quarantine measures in some lagers. Lavenda, maybe you can take it from here because you were still living in a reception center at that time. Uh, yes, as soon as the visits were forbidden, we couldn't meet in person. Then we decided to ask women to record audio messages instead. We asked them to tell us how the situation was in the lagers, what kind of support they were receiving, and if social distancing was even possible in such crowded spaces. Even, with this, even this was challenging because most of the lagers do not have Wi-Fi, and women have to use personal mobile data. In some lagers, one has to pay about 10 euros a month to access Wi-Fi. Imagine how difficult this is in this day and age not to have reliable internet access in a Western country. At this particular time, at the beginning of March, there was already plenty of information circulating on preventive measures for COVID-19. However, there was very little, if any at all, that was accessible to refugees in the lagers. And in situations where the information was shared, it wasn't available in all the languages needed. We started engaging the women with whom we had established contact, encouraging them to share information about their situations after the lockdown started. Our aim was to address the double isolation of refugee women. As we have already mentioned, lagers are strategically located in order to isolate. And the COVID-19 lockdown meant this isolation was only intensified. We will play some of this uh, so you can have an idea of what the women, women reported. We will start with an early report sent to us on the 4th of April, reporting about the conditions in Lagos at the area of Neuropain. There is a heim in uh, Tresco. Tresco is in Neuropain, the biggest heim that hosts around like 600 people. It was closed because some people were sick. It was closed for one week and they're trying to bring people in other lager 
to share the rooms. So people don't understand. Even people who have jobs there, one or a job, they've been given like a one week stay and residents flicked so that they stay in the lager to make it clear so that you understand. And then they block the insurance card so that you can only stay in Oropin and go to hospital in Oropin. People are very, very worried. So, and then they wrote that women who have children, they could go to Frauenhaus or the, the women place to stay for the time being until they find the solution. There's no solution. People are worried because they are trying to fix people in one room. They have opened a new lager in Alt Noropin and Wusterhausen. Uh, they are squeezing people in one room, not knowing who's sick, who's not sick. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's not a good situation. People are worried. The next one is a report from a woman in uh, Dubalokishine, also referred to as Doki, from the 13th of May, describing the quarantine conditions for new people arriving at the camp. Let's listen to it. One of the things that uh, people in the isolation were complaining about is that uh, those people who have tested negative for the corona and they are waiting for their quarantine period to end are usually still mixed with people who come, who new arrivals who come in are waiting for their test results to come out. And during this period, they are waiting for their test results to come out. They are sharing a kitchen and they are also sharing toilets. So they were, they were really, really a bit of concern that what if these people who come in and the test results are not yet out could be having the virus and they infect those ones who are in the isolation. So. That was a, not okay. It was a, a bit of a, cons, a bit of concern for those ones who are in the isolation. And the last report we are going to listen to is a very recent report at the beginning of this month of June. Here in this report, a woman is reporting about uh, the chaotic state of the camps, and that for many residents, it is, seems to be quite a deliberate attempt by the authorities to take advantage of the pandemic time. There's something going on here that uh, people don't understand. I think uh, there is no more hygiene in politics. As in, uh, this quarantine is not any more quarantine. Is I think taking advantage of the quarantine, this pandemic time. I have been in Wusterhausen, uh, met people, women, children, pregnant women, being shuffled from one lager to another, and within the lager, you're even shuffled from one room to another. After the 14 days, they tell you they're taking you somewhere, of which people don't know where they go. Some people have been forced to sign uh, a letter that they want to go back freely back to their countries. This is unbelievable. There are things being implemented and they are not in the law. It's a strategy to take advantage of this pandemic time. These shuffling people, 
from one lager to another. There are even people I'm shocked. I met a woman from Henningsdorf, a pregnant woman. She came to Norrpin. She don't know why she's there. She was just told to come there. After two weeks, she was given a, a room within Fusterhausen. After then, we don't know where she was taken. You just wake up and they tell you you're going somewhere else, of which people have no idea where they are taking people. And then they are squeezing people in the rooms. It's not even a quarantine anymore. It's look like, it looks like a, a small jail. That's what is going on here. It's uh, very, very uh, shocking. Uh, the people are getting worried every day. We wish to thank uh, all the women who shared these reports and more of this uh, uh, similar report with us because such reports are not heard anywhere until we produce them ourselves. Yes, thank you, Lavenda. And I want to say again, you can listen to the reports on our website, iwspace.de. And... Now we are going to listen to I Ain't Got No, I Got Life by Nina Simone. And when we come back, we will talk about the measures the German state is failing to take to protect the refugees and asylum seekers here in Germany. Okay, so welcome back to the program. So, people listening in Germany will probably already have heard about the Robert Koch Institute. For those who haven't, it is a government public health ag agency which has issued recommendations on the tracking of contact people, protection of people at risk, quarantine and isolation. 
the recommendations should apply to all people living in Germany, including refugees living in shared crowded accommodation centers. Yet, as we have seen, this is not the case. At the end of April, a 35-year-old man died of COVID-19 in Bavaria after lying critically in bed for four days. He lived in a container camp where he shared a tiny container with another person, as well as sharing facilities such as the bathroom and the kitchen with around 250 other refugees. This man could have been treated by medical personnel much easier, but his case was considered as mild and so no doctor came to see him. His is one of four known corona-related deaths in Bavarian lagers. In response to this criticism, the Bavarian Ministry of the Interior stated in a press release regarding the separation of infected residents in Bavaria in the lagers the following. These measures protect the rest of the population against the spread of the virus, but also protect isolated asylum seekers from mutual infection. I mean, how cynical is that? And this is an official statement and reaction from the state. First, they gave little protection to refugees in the lager, and when some got infected with the virus, they decided to quarantine the whole lager and keep everyone locked up together without sufficient safety measures to protect other residents. Of course, if one person in a lager is infected, it will spread to a lot of other people. And then they even have the nerve to say that now they keep them in quarantine because they don't want the white German population to get infected. They say they are keeping infected people isolated to prevent them from infecting each other, but this is simply not true. They are absolutely aware of the fact that they are risking the health and life of refugees by keeping them in these lagers during the corona pandemic. And I mean, we see the results of this, like the death of the people in the Bavarian lagers and the many cases of corona. There was research published at the end of May by the COVID-19 Public Health Research Network that proves this point also. For this research, they collected reports from 11 federal states on 1,769 confirmed COVID-19 infections that were identified among 9,785 refugees in 42 facilities. 15 of these facilities were reception centers and 27 shared accommodations. These numbers are shocking. The report states that the most effective preventive measure is a place or a house that takes physical distance, that makes physical distancing possible. So for sure not these mass accommodations. And an infrastructure that makes it possible to keep hygiene standards. But we know the access to information about the number of infected people, although we have this research, is very, very limited. So when we just now talked shortly about the numbers, we have to keep in mind that the real numbers of affected, infected people is much higher in reality. And we also always have to keep in mind that this could have been avoided. The Health Minister of Brandenburg and other organizations like the Flüchtlingsrat made the recommendation to all states at the beginning of the crisis that refugees and asylum seekers should be accommodated in places with individual rooms, 
not crowded places like the Lagas. There were many empty apartments, hotels and hostels that were now available because the restrictions on tourism due to Corona that they could have been moved to. So this is what we have to always keep in mind, that there was free spaces and the state is still not willing to yeah, protect the refugee and asylum seekers in Germany. And actually that this is possible, we see in the example of Potsdam, where they rehoused at-risk refugees in empty hotels. But we say this is not enough because they only made it possible for at-risk refugees, like older people or people with chronic illnesses, to be able to live in these humane and safe conditions. But in fact, everybody has the right to live in safety in these times. So now I'm coming back to you, Lavenda. Can you tell us how it was or if it was even possible to keep the 1.5 meters distance in the lagers? The recommendations of the Robert Koch Institute to keep the 1.5 meters distance is practically impossible in these lagers. As we said earlier, most of the sleeping rooms are shared, as well as other facilities like the dining halls and the kitchens. If I can give an example of my room, how could we practice social distancing when we are three people in a cramped room? You must imagine it's not only the beds we are talking about here. We are talking about wardrobes, tables, chairs, and our other personal belongings. So in the end, what is left of the space is about five square meters for us to use if we are not on our beds. You have to keep in mind also that COVID-19 came in March when it was still too cold to open the windows as recommended to allow free circulation of air in such tiny rooms. The toilets were another problem. We could not follow the recommendations to wash your hands constantly because there was no soap in the toilets or sanitizers along the corridors. This is a problem because there are many corridor doors in the lager and one has to open several of them before you get to the toilet or even to your room. So with no sanitizers along the corridors, it wasn't possible to clean our hands after touching the handles of all these doors that have been used by a dozen other people. The dining rooms were also a very risky situation. There were markings on the floor to keep the 1.5 meters distance when waiting to be served by the kitchen staff. However, people had to use the limited seating spaces, so it was not uh, able to observe the same 1.5 meters distance while eating. At the same time, regulations were passed that saw the closure of restaurants all over Germany. Of course, they failed to take into consideration that similar situations exist in the lagers. There's a general rule in the lager where I was living that no one is allowed to take food from the dining hall to their rooms. The social workers were always there to reinforce this, meaning that the crowding in these spaces was exposing the refugees more if any of them was infected. 
This situation in the Lagos becomes even more complex for people with uh, pre-existing medical conditions who are at a higher risk. Unfortunately, this was never given the priority it deserves when putting all these measures in place. It was quite alarming to watch this happen with the understanding of what consequences would arise in cases of infections. There were isolation containers that interestingly were only meant for the new arrivals who would be put under quarantine for a while, but I'm almost sure that it was not for the standard two-weeks period. For the people under quarantine in these containers, food would be brought to them during the day. The last meal was around 5 p.m. Then after that, people were on their own. The containers were initially not guarded at all. This meant that people would freely, very freely socialize with the residents of the lager, especially at night and even during the weekends. You are listening to IBS Radio. Estás escuchando a IBS Radio. Nakaribishwa kuskiza late radio ya International Women's Place. Você está ouvindo IBS Radio. Batania IBS Radio. Everything colorposetic. All we need is your collaboration, Mrs. Jones. This is my voice, my weapon of choice. This is life. This is life. This is a plate. This is a cup. This is a story I didn't make up. This is a girl lost in the wood. Some covered wagon from some other hood. The voice, these are the hands, this is technology mixed with the band. Sat under. These are the clouds, this is our thunder. 
is what makes me look up and wonder into the eye of the wind through the rain onto the plain We have just listened to Grace Jones, This is Life. So, during this period of Corona, we had quite a few numbers of reports saying that there was an increase of violence against women all over the world. This is also shown by the first large representative survey on domestic violence during the Corona pandemic, published in Munich in March 2020. It says that 3.1% of women experienced at least one incident of violence against them during this time. If the women were in quarantine at home, the numbers more than doubled to 7.5% that reported physical violence. The figures were similarly dramatic when the family had, an acute, had acute financial worries. 
And this physical violence then affected 8.4% of the cases. And the loss of a partner's job due to the corona crisis also it then increased violence in families. We know that even before corona and the reported increases of violence against women, the Frauenhäuser, the women's shelters, have complained for years that they cannot offer enough places for women experiencing domestic violence due to financial cuts by the government. And even though it was partly possible to increase numbers of places in these women's shelters during this corona time or in other runaway shelters, there was still a shortage that led to women being turned down because there was no capacity. So I want to know, Jennifer, were there any such incidences of violence reported among the women in the lagers? Thank you, Kia. Generally, there was violence created by the lockdown everywhere. This does not exempt the lagers. Yet, we didn't see anything in the mainstream media about this violence against women in the lagers. The media mostly reported on the increase of domestic violence against women, showing that there was an awareness about how enclosed spaces led to more violence against women. But as usual, they did not give attention to how this might also be happening to women in the lagers. We have some recordings from the lager and we want to, would like to play some of these recordings of the women so that we can, you can have a clear example of what was actually happening. This is a woman from Laga reporting a case that I was found in my room with this guy. He would knock my room. It was around 12 mid, uh, midnight. He knocked my room. I couldn't wake up to open the room because I was really sick, my situation, and I couldn't wake up because I had uh, stars from the in my body, so I couldn't wake up to open the door. So he opened himself, and I asked him, "What do you want?" He was like, he wanted to to um, to come into me, but I shouted, and then late he left, and then later I reported to the pol to the security, which security didn't do anything. The only thing they told me I go to social worker to report to them, and I really reported the social worker to house to the housekeeper, and then the lady told me to go to the social to her colleague to report later, which I didn't go because if I can report to security and then to one one the uh, so, to the social worker and they didn't do anything so I just left the story over and then another day the same thing happened to me that time I was the door was locked I had someone knocking my door knocking my door I didn't say anything and I didn't report because the first time they came to my room they didn't do anything so it's really important for people in Lagos to be taken care of to be guarded because we don't actually we don't know why the security are there because they are doing nothing they don't protect us or they I think it's just because we are just refugees they don't think yeah and then later I, uh, they brought a, uh, a neighbor next to my room and he was a guy the guy used to to stay outside the like the whole night he used to stay around following women if you are going to the toilet he will follow up he will come back after 
after you and he most of the time he used to be naked and people in that floor they used to know him actually even the men used to report the guy that man because he used to follow people like they wanted to have even men women all the same they like harassing people who have sex with him but if you report there is there was nothing was done even to the security even to the social workers and this is very serious because I think people in Laga, they were not protected. They think they are protecting us, but they are not protecting us because such cases are happening now and then in, the, in Lagos. Yeah. And now we have the second report of ha sexual harassment in the Himes. Yeah, uh, he is a woman who lives in a Lager and I happen to be a victim of violence twice in a Lager. And... Uh, I think things should be taken serious because the reports were made, the police didn't come, the, we were told that uh, we report it's a social worker. As I made the report, the only thing they said, we have to live like family. First of all, I was attacked with a man. He happened to knock my door in the middle of the night, like three days, between 12 to 2. And once he managed to come in my room and sit down and said, we have to talk. He was very, very drunk. I called the security. Nothing was done. He was just uh, warned. And that's all. The police didn't come. Secondly, came another man and told me, oh, you are always alone. And uh, he, attacked, he harassed me. He said, oh, you know, I can make for you a baby. And then you get off the quarantine. That is horrible. People have no respect to women. And something has to really to be done. We are reporting this and we are being squeezed in the uh, rooms and uh, no action is being taken. And in this lager, we have uh, bathrooms in the rooms. The thing is, the security don't have, uh, they have an access to every room, so they come in whenever they want. Once it or twice it happened that the security came and found me naked. That was very embarrassing. I warned them, I reported this, even I wrote a letter to the social and uh, foreign affairs, nothing has been done. And they keep on coming also in the night, checking, just checking, there's nothing they are doing to check if somebody's there or whatsoever. They have access to your room and they come in whatever, something has to be stopped. This is against human rights. Thank you to the women for exposing this terror that happens in the lager. There is another video that was sent to us by a woman in one of the lagers about the violence that was perpetrated by the police. This violence happened in the presence of her child. The video of police brutality is also on our website. And this comes to the situations that when police are called, unfortunately, when the police come in the situations that they are called, this is how they handle it. Instead of moderating, they accelerate the violence. Lavenda, do you have any other thing that you want to add to this topic of violence? Actually, practically speaking, there was this violence that was intensified by COVID-19. But as women living in the Lagos, there already exists even more constant threat of violence from deportation. Recently, we heard about at least one lager where they're asking refugees to sign some documents that they are willing to go back to their countries of origin. And officially, 
From the 15th of June, they have restarted the deportations for Dublin cases. For those that probably do not know what Dublin is, the European states agreed that each refugee is only allowed to apply for asylum in one European Union state. Generally, the first European Union state a refugee enters is responsible for that refugee's asylum application. That means, for example, if you come to Spain, register there, then go to Germany, you will be sent back to Spain. And as you mentioned, deportations now, Lavender, that they have been happening, it is unbelievably cruel that there is this renewed effort even to deport refugees and asylum seekers during a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. So this was it for our first program. I thank you both so much for sharing your experiences and your expertise. And what you spoke about makes it very, very clear how refugees and asylum seekers, especially women living in the lagers, were at a higher risk due to the conditions and lack of protective measures. On the next episode, we will talk more deeply about the topic of the systematic racism and the structural violence. So thank you again, Jennifer and Lavender, for joining us on IVS Radio, the Migrant Woman Experience. We are broadcasting from the We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. And the broadcasting times Friday from 1 to 4 p.m., Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m., and Sunday from 1 to 5 p.m. And it's on 88.4 in Berlin and on 90.7 in Potsdam. Make sure to visit our website iwspace.de and subscribe to our podcasts. Check also the links and materials connected to the topic of this program, which will be published in our website. So thank you very much for listening and also subscribe to our newsletter so you stay tuned. IVS Radio, the Migrant Women Experience, is supported by Open Society Foundations. Están escuchando a IVS Radio. Você está ouvindo IVS Radio. Atenção que você IVS Radio. Tiken IVS Radio Radio Kubishmita. Karibishwa kuskiza late radio ya International Women's Space.